0: So I know it's, uh, um, timing wise, it's pretty late in the US. It's pretty early in Jakarta. It's Saturday. I'm sure people have, uh, you know, stuff to do. So uh, firstly, I want to thank everyone for joining in. Uh, I really appreciate you, you know, saving the time to join us to talk about this. Um, so again, I'll introduce myself. My name is Kennedy Ashinze. um, I'm the founder of Globe Charter Lab. We're a creative media agency. Started from Chicago, but we're based here in Jakarta, right? And I'm going to introduce uh, my folks on the panel. Uh, great, great folks that have been so kind uh, and generous enough to spend some of their time with us today. So I'll start with Eric Williams. Eric Williams is from Chicago. Eric, you can raise your hand up if so in case they don't know, there you go. Uh, really good, amazing friend of mine. He's been to Indonesia. He spoke at my wedding, you know, a mentor, all of that. So I'm not going to read his whole bio for you, but we have it on on the, on the our Instagrams and all that, but amazing friend. Curtis, I just found out about uh, not too long ago, uh, the former senior manager at Ad America in, in Jakarta. So he left in February, but uh, sorry, in March uh, during the COVID stuff, but he's plans on coming back i I believe in in august so so it's pretty crazy not a lot of black people in jakarta but we never we never actually met so that was uh looking forward to having you back in jakarta and then of course arif arif is moderating this um he's the country director for change.org he also co-founded tedx jakarta and you know one of the first people that reached out when this whole stuff was going on and just you know offered to help in any way shape or form i told him i was working on something so i definitely needed that uh support there uh so i'm very grateful for that of course even with translate he's going to be not only asking questions but also translating sometimes um and then Hadi is Hadi in there somewhere Hadi is with uh Manuel if you're in Jakarta you're, you're very familiar um you know he owns new media folder He's a media peer of mine, and I thought I'd reach out and make it inclusive. I thought I'd, you know, it's, this is not a lecture, right? This is uh, a lot of us still don't even have the full answers, uh, you know, with what's going on. here. so that's why, you know, I called it an open conversation, you know. So obviously, um, we have a different lens of how we see what's going on and how it affects us, um, even Eric, Curtis, even Barbara right now, they're in the U.S., they're, they're, they're there in real time, so they can actually, I'm, I'm, I'm actually watching, like, all the other Indonesians from Indonesia here, you know, I get to call them and talk to them, but they're on the ground, so there's that lens uh, that they get to speak from, so, um, then we've got Michael, I, I believe Michael is in here as well, as a musician, a Papuan musician, there's a little bit of that, you um, I guess correlation there a little bit with the papuan struggle here in indonesia so he's going to give some insights and he joined us uh uh, joined us a few days ago so thanks a lot for doing that i appreciate that and uh am i missing anyone let's see i think i got everybody in there right and um again the reason why we're here is to have this open conversation about um you know i'm sure we've all seen it on our screens the black lives matter protests and uh, there's something different about this one. You know, it looks like the, you know, the world is paying attention. It was almost like the the camel broke or something. Like it's, you know, and I, I think it's a, uh, I was talking to, Sir, to Arif even yesterday and we were just discussing how this one feels different. You know, it feels like um, there was a combination of things. I mean, 2020 has been such a, such a year, right? I think this time around we were sitting at home, you know, and uh, we kind of just watched, it was like a buildup. You know, I don't know if you're, if you're in the U.S., if you're not in the U.S., there was kind of a buildup with this thing in relation to the Black Lives Matter protests. You know, first there was the Ahmad Arbery case, uh, you know, and uh, and then there was the Breonna Taylor, there's the George Floyd. So there was just build buildup and we're all like at home watching these things. You know, normally sometimes you get distracted, you know, when you're going by your nine to five, or you, you might see a snippet of it on, on TV. But this time I think we're all kind of just like watching and it just kind of hit a little bit different this time, you know, and and the truth with these things is that, you know, a lot of times these cases, if you know, we thank God for technology. A lot of times these things do not, you know, they don't get convicted unless there's a video evidence. Because I remember uh, Ahmed Arbery, the case happened since February, like right before Corona. So it was kind of this single mom, you know, just pleading for justice. There was no video. The case was almost kind of done until um, uh, the video evidence came out. So these things uh, have been incredibly triggering for a lot of Black folks all over the world. You know, we've always kind of known these things happen. I think this time the world got to see it and uh, it hit a nerve somehow. Like obviously there's all over the, wor- all over the world, like countries are participating and, and, uh, and protesting. So there's, uh, there's a lot to uncover. We're not gonna uncover everything here, but at least we're gonna share, have dialogues and uh, just exchange information and see how, how we can move forward. And by all means, we're gonna take qu- questions um, later down. Okay, so thanks again and welcome everyone.
1: Thanks a lot, Kennedy. Hi everyone, I'm Arif, I'll be moderating today and I'm super excited. There's a lot to cover. there's a lot to learn. We have limited time. Um, Thank you so much to Globetrotter and and Kennedy um, for inviting me into this process. Um, The objective here today is to um, educate, I I suppose a a lot of uh, the audience is uh, Indonesian um, so to educate kind of like Indonesians on what's really happening out there, why it's happening, what's the way forward. But I also do acknowledge there are people from around the world um, as it is a, 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 a becoming more and more of a global movement. Um, um, just, want, just a few things um, on questions. We're going to do this quite um, free flowing. So please type in your questions on the chat. Um, and whenever I see them, I'll try to incorporate it to my questions. We have uh, tons of questions from you guys when you registered. So we'll try to cover most of that, if not all of that. Um, yeah, before we start, um, um, yesterday morning, um, I got a distressing message. From Muriel. Um, but Muriel, uh, if you don't know, is uh, Kennedy's uh, wife here in Jakarta who's waving right now. Um, that something had happened to Kennedy. And uh, I couldn't believe it because the timing of this was just almost unbelievable. So I would like to invite Kennedy actually to start by sharing um, your personal experience, Kennedy, of what happened just two nights ago. Um, Yeah.
0: Okay, Uh, thanks. Uh, Before I continue, I want to acknowledge Barbara. Barbara Allen is back in the frame. Uh, Thanks for making it. We're having some technical issues there. Okay, guys, so, the timing was crazy i gotta admit you know i've been in jakarta now for almost seven years right most of my friends know i moved here uh 2013 after i got married and um for the most part you know it's been it's been amazing you know with me being i've had a lot of friends come visit i i feel like i'm an ambassador for indonesia anytime i leave the country you know i'm always um speaking highly about it and dispelling myths and, and all that and uh it's been uh, i'm aware of like things that happen with maybe af- with Africans here and like the stereotypes with drugs and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, um, I, but I, I, don't, I don't even keep it at bay. I'm just aware, you know, but it doesn't really surface in South Jakarta, right? It's not, there's just not a lot of black people in South, in, in South Jakarta, to be honest. And um, so I'll keep this short, but um, I, mean, I mean, this has kind of affected how I'm going to approach this talk, honestly. But um, two nights ago, Uh, we've, uh, I was jogging, you know, we've been, you know, everyone has been finding ways to do their quarantine thing, right? So we've just had this um, schedule of walking every day, like, you know, walking 10 steps a day. So it's either we walk in the morning or work at night or jog or so on. So two nights ago, I was doing my normal walk, like around eight o'clock at night in my neighborhood, a route that I normally go by. And uh, on my way back, you know, I'm all sweaty, have my water bottle. I had AirPods on, I'm listening to some news or something and I'm just kind of jogging back. And you got to realize like with walking, Jakarta is really not a walking city as such, you know, but luckily, command um, Raya, there's just this new path there. So it's, it's it's pretty decent, right? But again, when you're walking on the street with the Corona case, you're not trying to chat with anyone, right? You just, you have your mask on. You're not trying to stay too close to people like that. And I remember some guy, um, I'm kind of at the last leg of my thing, you know, and some guy taps me in the, in the back, which is very weird. No one talks to you in Jakarta. That's the beauty. You can just kind of mind your own business. And, uh, you know, so this guy taps me, you know, I have my headphones on and I'm thinking he's trying to ask me for directions. So I'm, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, no, I, I don't know what I, like, I couldn't understand what he was saying. So I just kept on walking. I just noticed from, from the side that he, he kept on following me. And it was like one, two, and it was three guys. And they kept on like, you know, so I was like, what's going on? You know, this is like nine, eight, thirty, nine, close to nine o'clock. And I, I take my airports off. I was like, like, can I help you? Like, like, what's, what's happening? Like, what is this? And, and then they're asking me like, where are you from, you know, like where are you from, you know, where, where, what's, where, where's your, what's your, um, can I see your immigration papers? You gotta realize this is very, this has never happened in Jakarta, at least for me, right? Never. So this is like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like, first of all, they're not wearing, they're not identifying themselves. They're not wearing, unif- they're not wearing uniform or anything. I'm thinking like, are these robbers? Like what's, what's going, you know, they just literally, and I'm like, what do you mean where are my papers? Like, who are you? Like, you know, like, you know, what is this about? And um, they, we kind of make our way to one area and then they had like a boss there, like a bigger guy, there was a car running. And I was like, first of all, I'm not showing you anything. I'm jogging, I live here. You know, I, I do this jog every day. And do people jog around with the, holding with their passports in their pockets, you know? And, um, and I was like, first of all, this never happens. So this is crazy. Like, I don't even know who you guys are. You have to show me some ID. Then the boss guy shows his ID. And I was telling him, well, I don't have my, 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 whatever, my passport on me, but and I'm not. And then he was like, well, means you're going you're to have to um, um, go in the car with us. And at that point, I was like, you know, this can go two ways, you know, because I, I was definitely that, was, that would have been the worst thing that happened to me if I actually went to that car. You know, at this time, I was like 50-50, like, am I going to start swinging? Because it had that look like, you know, it, it had, I was kind of surrounded by these guys. I saw the car. Uh, parked. and normally that's how that works, right? They tell you to get in the car, you know, and then you don't get in the car and they make you get in the car, you know, so I was just like, so I just kind of, I made a scene. It was like, it was pretty crazy. I was, I was, I just felt like hunted down on the street. I'm not going to lie. Like, I thought it was really shocking. And, you know, I was, I was, I was furious. I made a scene there and I was like, I'm not getting in no car. If you want to, if you want to see my ID, you know, you can walk with me to my house. So literally they're like following me you know like some escort like i was some kind of it was it was it was incredibly embarrassing and i was i was furious i was it had never happened in my 7 years here and uh, so you know we walked to the house I take that nice little long walk to my house coming through my building security you know i i'm calling muriel to bring my paperwork down so but it was just incredibly humiliating humiliating the way they the way it was all it was all it was all done it was it, i'm still kind of um trying to put it behind me so I can focus on the talk. But that was like uh, incredibly troubling. And um, I think there is this comfort level with what they do with Africans here sometimes. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure sometimes there are people that don't have their papers or their papers are uh, expired or whatnot, but to me, I just thought it was incredibly hostile. Like the approach was incredibly hostile and uh, would be very, not only intimidating, but very, just incredibly brash to a foreigner. I, I just thought their priorities were incredibly wrong. Like everyone is fighting Corona right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're, they're barely foreigners in Jakarta, to be honest. And uh, I just thought it was it was pretty unusual. And I just thought I'd share that with the room. Um, you know, they took my, my passport and took photos, which I feel weird about, because it was like this random guys, even their documents they showed me were not like official, official documents. It was just this weird, one of the IDs was expired. You know, but it, someone now has my passport and key tap document on their phone you know, so it was just it was it was pretty troubling and uh, I just thought i'd i would i would share that with the group you know but hopefully uh we move on and uh, and talk about other issues in jakarta so yeah that's that's my story
1: thanks so much for sharing that Kennedy um yeah, the timing of that was so weird um we we were like you were planning this event not like two days after, but then that happened. Um, I, I can't imagine how you feel. Um, it's, it's, it's just a blatant practice of racism from law enforcement. It's everywhere, right? Um, this is why it's becoming a global issue. Um, um, before we veer into the kind of like global um, stuff, um, I'd like to maybe ask um, Curtis, um, uh, I think Kennedy saw you gave a talk about the history yeah. of black movement that I'm sure a lot of people here would be enlightened to, to hear. Um, yeah,
2: no, I appreciate it. And, uh, Kennedy, thank you for sharing your story and your story is definitely not a unique one. Uh, it is one that if you are a person of, uh, color. Uh, you've experienced, whether it be in the United States, whether it be in Indonesia, or you know people firsthand who have experienced those things. And so when he's telling me this story, I'm not at all surprised. And what I guess I can bring to the table is just historical context in the United States of why we are where we are and why African-Americans are uttering the phrase and shouting the phrase, I can't breathe. So I want to take us back to the year 1619. In 1619, the first slave arrived on what would ultimately become the United States. Um, 157 years later, uh, the United States signed and ratified the Declaration of Independence. So for the first 157 years that the country was being created, it was being created by essentially free labor, Uh, Africans were captured like animals in Africa and taken to through the Middle Passage um, in boats and stacked on top of each other in horrific conditions to get across the Atlantic Ocean and land in the Caribbean and land in the South uh, for uh, labor purposes. And even in 1776, even when the constitution was signed, Africans or slaves were not deemed to be citizens. They were not treated as people. They were closer, more closely treated as animals. Uh, so you fast forward to 1862, and uh, that's 243 years after the first slave landed in the, what would be the United States. And that's when Abraham Lincoln, our 16th president, signed the Emancipation Proclamation which ultimately freed slaves. Uh, Last week, we celebrated something called Juneteenth in the United States, it's um, January 19th, 1865. This is three years after the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. In 1865, slaves are actually released. So for three years after it was illegal to own a slave, slaves were actually notified of their release. So another three years. So there's 250 total years of free labor. And when you're looking at a democracy and what makes a citizen of a democracy, your citizenship comes with your eligibility to vote. Now, again, African-Americans had been in the country for 250 years and they just won their freedom. The ability to vote had not even come into play. Um, So we fast forward to 1920. Okay, so this is close to 60 years after the emancipation proclamation. And this is when white women are actually guaranteed the right to vote in the United States. So before and you know anybody a person of color is guaranteed the right to vote, white women received the right to vote in 1920. In 1965, um, only 55 years ago. My father uh, who just turned 70 this year, was 15 years old in 1965. So when we say things happened so long ago, it's not that long ago. It's, it's my father's generation. 346 years after the first slave landed, like I said, only 55 years ago, African-Americans were guaranteed the right to vote. Um, black people have been hunted and killed uh, from the beginning of our existence. Uh, our very existence is sometimes could be considered illegal. It was illegal for uh, slaves to marry each other. It was definitely illegal for them to marry um, people who were not slaves. It was illegal at certain times and certain places to learn how to read. And it was illegal to teach slaves how to read. Uh, When the police department didn't handle things in what the community felt was a proper fashion when it came to slaves, so entered the Ku Klux Klan, as well as just ordinary citizens who felt like they were entitled to take the law into their own hands and not feel any repercussions. A perfect example of this is in 1955, when a 14-year-old from Chicago named Emmett Till was lynched in, I want to say, Mississippi, because he, he was falsely accused of uh, offending a white woman. The two white men who were accused of the crime were, not found, gui- were found not guilty, and uh, once they were tried, they openly admitted to committing the crime as they knew they would not be prosecuted again. For those who don't know what lynching is, that is where you hang a noose from a tree and you put it around somebody's neck and let them hang. This is a 14-year-old boy in 1955. He could not breathe. Fast forward um, to 2014, I want to say, and you have Trayvon Martin, who was walking home to his father's house in Florida when a gunman, uh, George Zimmerman, who was just a, a, a citizen, uh, pulled a gun on him and asked him about his papers and asked him where he, what he was doing in the neighborhood. And when George Zimmerman didn't did relinquish any papers, or excuse me, Trayvon Martin did not relinquish any papers and did not show him and, and fought for and defended self and defend itself, George Zimmerman shot and killed him, a 17-year-old boy, and uh, he was found not guilty. Uh, the issue at hand with uh, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor is they were both unarmed and killed by police officers. Uh, statistically, unarmed African-Americans are five times more likely to be killed by police officers than white Americans. Conversely, when you look at the likelihood of imprisonment, so if you were born in the United States uh, in the year 2001, if you were a white man, a Latino man, or a black man, this this is the chances that you would go to prison. So one out of every 17 white men would go to go to prison one out of six latino men would go to prison and for african american men one out of every three just three black men are guaranteed to go to prison and so when we talk about these disparities and we talk about just again being able to live and exist and and be comfortable in ourselves it is extremely stifling in the united states to do so um, one of the things I'd like to show just real quick is this little makeshift graph and uh, pardon me because I did it with my hands, but this is the timeline from 1619 to 2000. And this say, this is a history of the United States. The economic viability of African-Americans is here. The economic viability of white Americans is here and this is economic opportunity. And the reason being is because this gap is healthcare. This gap is the judicial system. This gap is the access to the vote. This gap is um, like health disparities and access to proper food, proper medicine, proper everything. And that is essentially why you see this just... Uh, Martin Luther King called a riot the uh, the song of the unri- the unheard, you know, the voice of the unheard, and that's why you see these things happening, and that's where we are today. So hopefully, that gives a little bit of background and context.
1: Curtis, uh, thanks so much for that. Um, you hear about these stories um, um, all the time, um, and every time you hear it, it's just. Uh, heartbreaking um, and uh, w- what, what strikes me is for, uh, for someone living outside of the US the rest of the world is the myth or the legend of the United States of America uh, what I was brought up with was a legend of a country that is free a legend of a country that is democratic that is prosperous um uh, that is um modern and um your whole talk just completely puts it upside down it was that maybe for white americans but it was um completely the opposite for uh, black americans thanks so much for that um what i'd like to ask the the, the panel um is, um, especially Americans, is that the the stuff that we've seen in the media are really um, 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 the most obvious and the the captured um, cases of racism. Um, I, I suspect that racism actually is more subtle than that on a day to day basis, Um, is that true? And like, what, like, I guess my question is, how do you feel as a black person in America in your daily life? And feel free, uh, Eric, uh, Barbara, um, Curtis, if you want um, any, or Kennedy even.
2: Yeah, Barbara, uh, would you like to?
3: Yeah, um, one thing I want to add to what Curtis said, um, I, I did a film a few years ago um, called Colorblind, Rethinking Race. And it was about the um, systematic institutional racism in health, wealth, education, and the justice system, which just about covers everything we deal with socially. And to your question, and to add to what he said, racism is so embedded in our culture that even when people have no idea that they're participating in it it's the way they learn it's the way they think there's not a day in my life ever that i have not been confronted with racism on one level or another it's just that i don't always choose to address it or i it doesn't i don't make a big deal about it but people People say things to you that they think are complimentary and it's very racist. Like, uh, I don't see you as black. To me, that's like, are you blind? I mean, I see you as white. Why don't you see me as black? As if they're paying me a compliment saying, I don't think of you like the others. You're different. So there's these microaggressions. We call microaggressions, these little things that people do that keep nicking 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 at you and there've been many studies that have shown that these microaggressions and the pressures of systemic institutionalized racism has a very very big effect on black health and is literally killing us racism is a disease and it is affecting us in physically, emotionally, spiritually, even if we choose to ignore it and pretend it's not there. It's always there. It's always that one thing. You're going through life being normal and then out of nowhere, bam, you're hit with it. And it's like, oh oh, okay. I, you know, you you you're not allowed to just be the person you are. You're the person you are, but you're black. Yeah. You know, so always add it into it in some kind of subtle way. And then sometimes it's ma- macroaggressions, you know, also. So,
1: yeah. And so from, from, from um, your point and um, Curtis's point, um, while people might see these things in the media and think, ooh, racism is getting worse in the US, um, uh, maybe it's not, maybe it's just the same but it's being highlighted more. Is that accurate?
3: I I, I think it's like every black person I know, <laughs> we're all laughing because all our white friends are calling us saying, Oh my God, this is yeah. terrible. This is going on. This is not new. You know? You just were not paying attention. My neighbor called me over yesterday and said, I wanna talk to you about something, but I don't want you to get mad. And I'm like, what? I don't understand this. Black lives matter. Why is black lives matter? Black people kill each other. And I'm like, you know what? White people kill each other more than black people kill each other. And that's not the point. The point is, all lives do matter. But in America, they don't. So we have to say black lives matter because we are being killed. We're being, we, our, like he said, the economics um, are so horrendous that the wealth of a single white woman is like fifty thousand dollars and the wealth of black people is zero. And some and now it's going into the negatives. So yeah. the difference in every aspect of life. You know, I, I'm lucky and, and you know people on this panel, we're luckier because we were able to have some kind of economic growth and and, and not, you know, have to live as many of our brethren have to live, but it does not, even if you're middle class, upper middle class, it does not stop you from dealing with racism because on every level, it's always there. You're always, always reminded, you know? And I, I work in film and television. I consider myself lucky successful, but it doesn't, it doesn't stop. People, they have attitudes. I, I was once editing a piece with a producer And there was a line that said, this, this, and the rest of the Arab world. So I had a beautiful shot of a mosque and people, and it was gorgeous. And she said, no, no, don't use that shot. Use this shot. And it was a camel in the desert chewing on some straw, and a guy there. And I'm like, I'm not using that shot. I'm using this shot. And she says, well, you know, just put in my shot, and if we get time, we'll put yours in. And I said, no, I'm putting my shot in. I'm not insulting a whole people because of your racism. I'm putting my shot in. And if you get time, you get someone else to put your shot in. I'm not going to do it. So in addition to me being Black in that environment, I have to almost be a social conscious for innate racism that they don't even understand. Because they want to think of the whole Arab world as camel jockeys. They want to think of Black people as yeah, we have a story with, about police and, and, and how they learned to shoot. Every target was Black. They didn't even see that until I was like, why is every target Black? We can't put this on the air, you know? So it's like a constant, constant fight. And, and you have to be conscious and you have to be responsible. Because when you are in these white spaces as a person of color, If you do not take responsibility and and teach them, then there's no reason for you to be there. Then you might as well be a white male. Because if you're going to act like a white male and let all these things go by, what's your value? So the responsibility also weighs on you. Even though you're in these high-profile positions, you still have a whole nother responsibility that my white colleagues never have to deal with.
1: That's such a great point, Barbara. It's, um, such, it seems like a huge blind spot to, um, to these people, and it's, it's so obvious for the rest of us sometimes, but maybe we, all, all of us have blind spots. Curtis, you wanted to add something.
2: Yeah, so just following in on that point, right? Like, so one of the things that I've done in this, this most recent line of protests is, is I've refused to talk to Americans about it. And so the reason being is I'm like, we know better. We've been doing this for 400 years. I will talk to Indonesians and I will talk to people who are learning about it. That's where I will spend my time and my energy because that is a people who are interested in growing their mindset to be, as Barbara said, you know, have to be the, the sounding board for people is something that goes back to slavery where, you know, white slave owners would talk to their house Negroes and, you know, make them feel better about their conscience. In the movies, Barbara can attest to this, there's the concept of the magical Negro. There is Morgan Freeman always playing God. There is Will Smith as Bagger Vance. There are all these people who are there to serve as a, a um, soundboard for the white protagonist. And that in itself is exhausting. And and I refuse to play that role in my personal life. Um, But I think Malcolm X once said that, you know, racism is as American as apple pie. And that is accurate because, again, slavery was born into our Constitution. That is the document we hold as Americans to be the most sacred. And when you're at that starting point, you cannot catch up. You just cannot catch up over 200, 300, 400 years. You can't catch up. And so when people say, "You know, well, why are they doing this? Why is this happening? It's like, well, you have 400 years of legit oppression. And I think when it comes to how racism is viewed today, it's viewed very much on an individual basis. It is not an individual basis as much as it's legit Laws that were written and on the books for many, many years that have put us at a disadvantage for all of these things. Again, it was illegal for an entire group of people to learn how to read in the United States. And whether that be for one year, 20 years, 50 years, how are you on earth are you to expect that they would be in the same boat as a family who didn't have that obstacle? Right. Like that is generational opportunity that's just passed and gone. And so it is a lot of catch up. And as Barbara said, like we do, those of us who have made some economic strides, but we are nowhere near where we would be if we were a white male. Because, you know, a, a failure on our end is completely different than a failure on their end. There's some such thing as failing up and there's another thing as failing down. And whether you're a woman, a person of color, you know that experience all too well.
1: I've seen this debate online. It's very, very interesting. Um, and obviously um, um, the black community can disagree with this. That It's not like a, a, a single voice. Um, where is it, um, is it a responsibility from the black community to educate um, uh, uh, like white people or the system on this? Or, is that putting more burden to them? Is, is it double oppression? Um, um, I, 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 I want to hear maybe Eric's thought on, on this or uh, stuff that we touched on earlier.
4: Eric?
5: Um, hey, how are you doing? Thank, thanks, thanks for having me on the panel. Um, I was listening to Curtis at MBA and everything you're saying I completely agree with. Uh, I will say in the last two weeks, I've got more phone calls, emails ever in my life asking how can I be a better white person? You know what I mean? So um, I think this this time was a little different to kind of what, what, what Kenny was saying. I think it was several things. I think it was one was the pandemic. Everybody was kind of at home focusing on, you know, just everything that happened in the media, you were forced to kind of, to reckon with it. Uh, it was, uh, it was uh, Aubrey that got murdered first. Uh, it was George Floyd. I think it was two things also that tied into that. I think one was the Amy Kirk, uh, Cooper situation in New York. I've talked to a lot of my white friends about it, and they always brought that up. And I think, for those of you who don't know, it was a white woman in, in, uh, in, uh, in New York City, in Central Park. She basically weaponized her whiteness by trying to call the police to threaten, to call the police on this black guy who was um, telling her to put her dog on a leash, so she was like, you know, I'm going to tell the police there's a, there's a black man threatening me. I think that one was so obvious, what she was trying to do, that even the white people who didn't believe it before, they couldn't really not believe that one. They, no, they saw that. The other thing too, I think the George Floyd case was a little different than the others with Trayvon Martin. There was no video. With um, the other cases, even when there was a video, you could always make an excuse. Well, we thought he had a gun or he was afraid for his life. But I think in the case of George Floyd, it was the methodical murder, you know, and the way he was killed, um, you know, the knee on the neck for eight, eight minutes and 46 seconds. And just the, uh, just the, the way that the policeman looked at the camera, just, uh, he, did, it was a, just a, he didn't care, you know? So I think it was, you couldn't really argue with that one. You know, all the other ones, you could kind of maybe find a way to make an excuse, you know? That one I felt, you know, I think even the white people were like, wow, that one was, was, was pretty obvious. I think you kind of put all those things together. And I think they finally like kind of believed us in a way. Um, and I, so I think the pandemic, the Amy Cooper thing, the way he was killed, uh, people were out of work, people were frustrated, people were tired. Now you're moving into the summer, people were just kind of ready to take to the streets. Um, and, I, and also, I think there was a little bit more strategy behind the protests than before. You had people who were just out and angry, Then you had people who had a strategy to protest to to have some laws changed in Minnesota, uh, defunding the police, uh, police abolitionists, um, and things actually are changing a little bit. And, you know, putting your money where your mouth is, and then you had Juneteenth kind of right behind that. And everyone wants to give Black people some money, <laughs> you know, so we'll see how long this lasts. So that's been my take on this. Um, if you look at the, you know, the New York Times, uh, uh, best-selling book, I think twelve of the uh, fifteen top books are uh, about race. White um, right fragility, you know the new Jim Crow. I mean, people are you know the thirteen documentary. I mean, everybody's a lot of white people are interested in finally learning for the for the first time I've seen it you know in my lifetime. So,
1: so you're quite hopeful.
5: I didn't say that. All right,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> not that, that far. <laughs>
2: that's, yeah. the, that's, sad, yeah. that's the saddest. That's the saddest part about this whole thing, right? Yeah. That's the saddest part about this, this whole thing, like the burden of proof that we have to display to get people to actually engage in issues that are our are, are, are own is intense. And so for me, when you're looking at all these things on the, you know, and you're talking about these books and you're talking about all these Netflix, the 13th, and, you know, and when they see us and all these other things, for me, it's traumatic. It's trauma like why would i watch that it is black trauma for me because i know people who have had this happen and there but for the grace of god go i like it has you know i've been in situations but i haven't been in awful situations and if i've been in situations i've been able to get myself out of situations but not everybody's that lucky and again if if you have video you hope everything works out even if you have video with police officers, the way our system is set up is the prosecuting attorney that has to prosecute the police officer in that one case needs the police for an entire bunch of cases so that they can get reelected. So the system is set up to where the police have the judicial essentially by the neck, no pun intended, where if, if you go against theirs, And it sounds just like a gang. If you go against one of theirs, they're going to drop their, they're going to say, well, we're we're going to stop policing if we're not allowed to do our job the way we want to. I've never seen any other industry that 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 is acceptable and okay. It's it's insane. And that's where you get into what Eric was saying is about, look, we got to defund the police departments. We got to reimagine what those things look like.
1: Quickly on that, um, because A lot of people, when they hear defunding the police, that sounds like such a radical um, idea, but maybe it's not that radical. Can you quickly explain what that means, defunding the police?
3: It doesn't mean getting rid of police. It it means taking some of the money because they get billions of dollars and taking it out of the hands of police departments where they're militarizing police forces so that they all the all the weapons that the military doesn't use and all the money that they get that they're using against the people, all it means is to take some of that money from police enforcement and put it into education, put it into social programs, put it into neighborhoods or it's needed as opposed to sending the military in in the form of policemen after us take some of the money and do something else with it because they don't need that much money. They are, there's no reason that the average cop should be making over $100,000 and then can make another 100000 in overtime. This mm-hmm. is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. This is just a, 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 once again, the system working for those that it works mm-hmm. for and not for the people. So it's about moving some of the money more than getting rid of policemen. No one's suggesting yeah. that you, yeah. we want the police, yes. but um, the money is too much money okay. in their
1: hand. Becoming, um, more and more, it's becoming to sound like a police state. Um, so, my next question, um, and maybe this is an unfair one. Um, so, we, we know that Trump is horrible on, in handling, and that's not the unfair part. He, um, uh, he's horrible in handling, he doesn't even pretend like he cares about the issue. He, uh, many have said that he's actually had fuel to the fire, um, but at the same time, um, it, 2009 was quite historic. It was a 2009, I believe. 2009 was quite historic. The U.S. elected its first uh, black president, and another um, history is that he was elected twice. So here you have a a black a two term black president um, um, uh, in, in, in recent years, just before Trump. My question is, did, why <laughs> um, why didn't it get better under his term? Is it, or, or did it get better, I'm, I'm not sure. But did he drop the ball or, or was, it, was there too much opposition or was this um, just too big of a, of, a, of a problem to be solved by that one person? Um, because uh, Black Lives Matter actually started in, in Obama's term, right? And Obama famously said, if I had a son, it would look like Trayvon Martin. So he definitely cares about the issue, but what went wrong there? Or maybe something did went right. Uh, I'm, I'm cognizant that Curtis actually uh, worked under uh, Obama's first term. So I don't know, Curtis, do you wanna go first or should we let other yeah. people kind of like chime in first? Up to you.
2: Um, yeah, let, well, I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off with this and just okay. in, with an, an understanding of our government and the way it works, right? Like, so a lot of these things that are happening are on local levels. So those are cities and those are states. And so we have state rights and then we have national rights. And so no president actually influences what happens on the ground in any particular state per se. Now the rhetoric and the discussions are definitely influential, but what I believe you had was um, with his election, a fear of where the country and for some people was going. And, um, We have something in the United States called white flight. So um, in communities where there are suburbs and different areas where there are the better schools than there are in, you know, uh, the urban areas in the United States. And I want to make this 100% clear before I go any further slums. And impoverished areas are planned. They are not on accident. They are not because people don't work hard. They are not because people don't want a better life for themselves. Like they love to live in squalor and things of that nature. That does not happen. It is, they are planned by people who are in power to ensure that the resources are allocated elsewhere. And so when we have these things and, and you have people who are gainfully employed and they're able to move out, to areas where there are better schools, white people, when they see African Americans come in, they think property value is going to drop, and they leave. And that's essentially the same thing when you have an African American president on just a much bigger scale. So you have all of these flashpoints where there's an expectation that you know he's going to be in quotes Black Moses" and he's going to lead everybody to the promised land. But there's really so much any president can do. Like this, you know, Donald Trump did not put his knee on, you know, George Floyd's neck. However, his rhetoric makes it at least more acceptable for those who are interested in it. You know, Barack Obama saying that, you know, my son couldn't look like Trayvon Martin does not change the hearts and minds of, of your every every the everyday citizen. And so, you know, Martin Luther King talked about this during his I Have a Dream speech, and one of the things he said was, right before he talked about I Have a Dream, was the United States has come, has issued us as African Americans a check, and it has come back with insufficient funds. You have not lived up to the promise of what this place is. And so when he's saying that in 1965, the election of one Black man once or twice does not eliminate, again, 400 years of just systemic issues and racism.
1: That's a great point. Um, um, Eric, do you, do you have something to say?
5: Yeah, sure. Uh, to Curtis's point, you know, I think the reason that Obama won uh, had more to do with him as a candidate than America changing its you know, his mind about racism. You know, he, he got 60 million votes. You know, a lot of white people actually voted, obviously voted for, for Obama. Um, one man can't change a history of, of racism, of, of structure, of, of power. I think a lot of the talk about you know, racism is about power. You know, it's one thing to vote for somebody for your own interest. It's something else to willingly give up power, economic power, political power, uh, for the sake of somebody else. Um, so, I mean, I've heard that a lot, you know, Obama, uh, he won the presidency. Therefore, America's not racist. Well, black people were probably racist. Probably still voted for Obama, you know. Um, and I think we went in a different direction with Trump as a as a response to Obama for those who thought that we were going in a different direction, a very liberal direction. Um, and now we see where we're at right now. So yeah, I mean, it's when when you I was you jokingly said, "Oh, is, are things?" Do I, am I hopeful for the future? And, and my answer is, is time will tell. You know, it's one thing to say, you know, this month, this week, everybody has a Black Lives Matter sign in their window and they're posting things. But again, how many corporations are gonna, you know, are gonna step down and, and have new leadership? You know, is is a white man gonna step down and have a black woman, you know, take his place? You know, that to me is like a change that we need to see long term. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's great to write a check. You know, for you know, for uh, you know, a nonprofit. But these boards are full of people who don't look like us. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, in my mind, we shouldn't even ultimately there wouldn't be a need for nonprofits. Honestly, if there's economic, you know, um, parity and there's structural changes, we would not need to have, you know, someone else helping us out in a certain way. So that's a long term answer. That's not just what happened in the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, just, just, I'm sorry, Arif, real quick. One of the things that, you know, jumping in that um, Eric reminded me of is, and this is something that this group can do. We have to get out of this space of thinking of Barack Obama as Barack Obama and not an African-American or thinking of LeBron James as LeBron James and not an African-American, right? We do this thing and it, it happens historically where, you know, Tiger Woods, well, he's Tiger Woods. He's not black. Will Smith is, is Will Smith. He's not black. No, everybody, we have an expression, like everybody, everybody wants to be black until they have to be black. Like you can't be Jay-Z, you can't be Beyonce and not be Breonna Taylor and not be George Floyd, right? It all comes with it. Like you can't take the good and leave the bad. Like, no, you need all of it. And one of the things we did it at America is if you performed R&B, rap or anything, you got a history lesson from me because I'm like, look, you cannot profit off of this culture without knowing the history of said culture. Like, and that's a very big thing. And so we'll talk about that a little bit more about what folks can do. But you have to know the history and you have to check each other on the history.
1: That's a great point. And I'm going to come back to that point because um, I think that's, an, uh, that's a very important one. Um uh, uh, before that, uh, Barbara, would you like to say maybe a, a short um, a statement about this, about the question?
3: Um, well, you, you talked about Barack Obama. Um, you know, as he was saying, the way our government vote works. Um, you had a, a Senate of Republicans who were totally opposed to anything that he did or tried to do. As he said, he was a president of the United States, not just of black people. And had he been able to do the things he wanted to do for the people of the United States, it would have also benefited Black people. But he was stopped, his hands retired at every turn, even when he wanted to give money to states to help build a, a high-speed railroad or to help them do things. They didn't want the money because they said, because it was coming from him, they would rather not take it. It was their own money. But because it was a Black man, that was doing it. Given it's like the it's like our healthcare system. And when it was called Obamacare, people hate Obamacare, but they love the ACA, which is the Affordable Care Act. It's the right. same.
1: I remember that. You
3: know, it, it became
1: so politicized that every attempt from him was uh, completely. But stop.
3: Every, 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 every and then when when right. Trump was elected, many people said. Now you see how we felt with Obama, mm. which is so totally <laughs> not true because Obama was, not, was trying to help people, not hurt them, and, and that's a big difference, but that's what people say a lot, a lot of um,
1: it's true. Right. I'm, I'm cognizant of time, but I'm, I'm also hearing people um, saying that, um, I hope this, this goes on for longer than an hour. Um, it will definitely. We scheduled it for one and a half hours. Maybe we'll go for two hours if we need to, because yeah. this is this all is very, very enlightening. Um, so uh, my next question is: um, as um, Kennedy pointed out in the beginning, there's been a lot of protests and and movements um, in the past five to to ten years. Um, on this particular issue, on the issue of race. But somehow, um, this feels different. I might be wrong, but this feels different. And the reason for that is um, I remember how much flack um, the movement got um, before this one, of like, for example, um, um, uh, when Colin Kaepernick, which is a a football athlete, a football star, took a knee during the, the, um, what do you call it? The, um, national anthem. Um, people were criticizing him for being deeply unpatriotic. Um, but now for example, you see like a lot of people are actually now saying that what he did was right. And actually also kneeling, even the police officers are kneeling now, some of them, um, and it seems like CEOs and companies are, are um, pledging um, uh, donations or coming up with new um, policies, um, uh, politicians even are starting to get in line. So this feels different. Does it feel different to you? Is this accurate? Um, and do you feel we will get something different this time than the the, the, the the last movements we, we had is it a tipping point
5: I think it's different this time because you have more buy-in from a larger community of people outside of just black people and in the, the day it comes down to, to economics you know you know, again all these companies are saying black lives matter or you know we're thinking about our, our board and we're restructuring and we're trying to do better and people are reading books and all this stuff. But, you know, it comes down to these corporations knowing that that is what you're supposed to say right now. You know, five years ago, people didn't want to say Black Lives Matter. Now everybody's saying Black Lives Matter. They're saying it because if they don't say it, you know, that's going to, it's not going to be good for their bottom line. So, you know, is it genuine or not? I mean, who knows? Uh, again, I keep going back to, it's going to take time to really see the, the serious, serious changes in these, in, in these corporations to, to, um, to see if they're serious or not. I mean, even with the NFL, you know, Colin Kaepernick was, was doing this five years ago, they were adamantly against him. You know, you have half of the NFL uh, owners are Trump supporters. So, so on one hand, they're saying, you know, I mean, giving him like, you know, $5 million. On one hand saying that we stand with these black players, the NFL is 70% black, but yet we're giving money to somebody who is obviously against these black players. So now I think it comes down to how do you force these people to have to act with their dollars. And you can't always change somebody's conscience or their heart, but you can maybe change policy because they don't want to lose money. So that to me is is probably more important than really sincerely begging somebody to see you as a human and, you know, trying to explain to them. You know, like Curtis did, The History of Racism, you know, like with there's tons of books, there's tons of video, like, it's not hard to understand. You
6: know, end, huh?
5: now who like are just getting it in 2020, you yeah. just get it now. Yeah. You know, so for me, you know, there's it's, it's one thing to say back to your earlier question, is it our responsibility to, to teach and talk to people to help them change their minds? I mean, I think some people who are good at doing that great and uh, others who don't have time for that, that's fine, too. But I'm really more concerned about actions and policy than I am about what's in their heart, because their heart could change in a minute, you know. And and, um, who knows? Who knows what happens six months from now? Yeah. yeah.
3: Well, I, I think America's inherent racism is why this is working right now, because I don't, black people have been in the streets for 400 years, but now that white people are in the streets screaming, Black Lives Matter. Now corporations are listening, people are listening. I've been to marches that are mostly white and seeing the sea of whiteness makes it it more visible than when it's just black people or mostly black and Latino people. So now it's like, oh, when when I, the film I did on, on racism, I use white male experts to tell how racism works because if I had a black man, a black woman, it would be seen as they're just complaining, that's just their thing. But a white male saying, this is how it's done. This is what it's done. This is what we do. Suddenly people can hear it. And I think all of these white allies coming out and joining us and being out there. I was at a, I was at a protest where the police started to attack some black protesters. And there was a yell for help white people to the front and out of nowhere all these white people came up surrounded got in front of the cops had the black protesters behind them and the white protesters put up their hands and said hands up don't shoot hands up don't shoot and it de-escalated the police because they weren't they weren't going to attack those white kids and the white kid the white people were protecting the black people so i think those white allies have come out and should have come out and should stay out because racism is really their problem it, it affects us but it's their problem it's their issue so having them out there saying it and and you know even though it's kind of annoying that everybody wants to ask you questions about it it's also uh, shows you how far far the white community is, is trying to move, at least our white allies are trying to move. And I think that their visibility is forcing corporations to go, OK, OK, OK. Also, I also think that black people need to understand how much economic power that we have on our own. And if if mm. we spent a day or two and didn't bite anything, we mm. could bring the country to these on our own. Mm. So,
1: yeah. Um, that's, uh, it's hard to wrap my, ri- uh, my mind around that. It's, um, it's, uh, kind of, I don't know how I feel about that. In, in one, in one perspective, it's really good that we're seeing, um, white allies, um, uh, really supporting the movement in another side. Um, it shows the inherent racism, like you said. Um, yeah, it, that's really, really interesting.
3: Um, but, but yeah. it's with race- and we we racism is dumb, and we know, and we're smarter than that. So we can use racism to achieve the goals that we need to have because right. they're going to do the same stupid thing yeah. every time. So yeah. we're ahead of them so far, <laughs> and we just have to use it Playing to that make game. it. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. A necessary evil, I suppose. Um, okay, so um, let's talk about. Um, global uh, spillovers on like the, the Black Lives movement um, uh, or the BLM movements um, and I'd like to get um, um, and, and we're gonna we're gonna move into how what this means for Indonesia um, But before that I'd like to get Hadi's perspective from a media practitioners um, what's been happening here how are Indonesians responding to this to this issue
4: yeah. Uh, thanks, Arif. Um, I think coming from a media uh, background of things, am I... MS- oh,
1: we can't hear you anymore. Hmm. It's uh, Indonesian internet for you.
0: <laughs> I think would, uh, why we try to figure out what having in there. Um, obviously, I live here, I'm Indonesian, and um, but for my, obviously we've seen how it's had like a global outcry, right? The world is in solidarity from, you know, Canada to Syria, everyone, you know, everyone is, is, I think internally everyone has known that it's been an issue, but I think uh, this time, like we've talked about earlier, everyone's kind of locked in, you know, and everyone's kind of fed up, you know. Like, obviously, it's a very interesting time, you know, corona and all. So, I think th- people are even just sensitive to, like, part of my language, like bullshit, you know what I mean? So, I think this one just hits differently. And I want to say this really quick uh, before we get Hadi back on that, you know, the coronavirus was kind of the first time that some Asians felt discriminated against in the U.S., right? So if I had to bring it back home, um, you know, because all of a sudden it was like, you know, you didn't have to be from China. All you had to be was, and you were getting, you know, a lot of racist things happening with Asians there. So, you know, um, it kind of put, hopefully puts you on that seat a little bit and you understand how these things work somehow. And to be honest, you know, this whole conversation we're having, like Eric and Barbara and Curtis articulated earlier, it's it's really, it's really just a human conversation, you know. So as far as how it relates to Indonesians, it's literally just, you know, if you put yourself, you know, if you put yourself in this in the shoes of of whoever is being oppressed, the black folks being oppressed, you know, like how how, you know, how would you respond? How if you if you know the history, and, and like Curtis mentioned earlier, um, about not wanting to share this with Americans, you know, I felt some some sort of burden to do the same thing here. Um, I do that in my work here. I kind of incorporate, you know, some so I, I just do that naturally. That's something I, I love to do. I incorporate like I'm black, like so I just kind of have some flavor in things that I do here, you know. Um, so I always I felt the responsibility to. I mean, at some point I was answering people individually you know, then obviously we're talking about putting a, a talk together, but I also felt responsible. I feel like people are well-intentioned here. And then that's why you guys are here on this talk. And I appreciate that. And people want to, uh, people don't know it. We can assume people know all the intricacies of American politics, you know, so, uh, um, so that's why, as far as it's relating to Indonesians, there's just not, I, I would imagine a lot of the things they see are on TV, you know, a lot of sometimes the bad and negative stereotypes, but, um, to be honest, it's a human conversation. You know, it can happen to you in a split of a second, which happened to Asians in, in the US uh, the last couple of months, you know, with the coronavirus thing. And people were, you know, it was it was a shock to the Asian community, but it happens. It can happen to you just like that. Now imagine if that's your daily life. If that's what, if, you know, this is how you live you know, uh, you wake up in the morning, you're, you know, you know, you're black. So you're, you're constantly confronting these issues. So um, I think that the timing of it all was very interesting because Asians got a chance to um, just get a, a, li- a little bit of a taste, you know, and the irony in it all, I'm just going to add this little caveat there. Like one of the police officers was Asian, right? Uh, uh, with the George Floyd case, which mm. was a- but um, that was just something to note, right? Since we're in Asia here, just to... Um, it's not necessarily all a white versus black thing. You know, sometimes, you know, people get caught up in, in, the, in these things. All right. So that's my two cents. There. I think we have Hadi yeah, back.
1: I think yeah. so. And what happened to Kennedy uh, two nights ago, um, it, it wasn't white people that ambushed him. It was Indonesians. Um, yeah, we all have blind spots. Hadi, maybe you can uh, say something to that about like uh, not only how um it's it's spilling over here, but also um how have you been seeing um a, uh, like um the Asian community and the African community kind of supporting mm. each other?
4: Yeah. Um I think um to add to that point, um I guess I guess I guess one of the concrete proofs that uh, you know the Asian and African communities have been have been going really strong uh, uh, in, in in the book of history was was the was the establishment of the Bandung Conference right I think a lot of Indonesians and and I think I read it somewhere that uh, the Black Lives Matter movement was also influenced and was also inspired by the uh, the the Bandung Conference is actually one of the first large scale uh, Asian African uh, uh, countries coming together and, and 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 cooperating and making these agreements. Um, so I guess the history has been there uh, because we have uh, very similar values. We have uh, a similar desire to be, uh, to, be, to be independent on our own, to feed. Um, but I think fast forward many, many years later until today, um, uh, we have seen a lot of corporations also in the terms of cultural. Um, I think we, we've seen things like that are maybe not, uh, that are maybe quite obvious, such as uh, the role of fashion, for example, so we've we've seen so many Japanese, for example, right? Japanese fashion designers or Japanese brand owners working together with uh, uh, with African American uh, celebrities or, or or brand owners, and we, I mean, we've seen something like Richiga, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, in in Indonesia itself, like you know, someone with an Asian background, someone with a with a Chinese. Uh, uh background heritage, but adapting and getting inspired by uh by 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 the black culture that, that is so influential and, and making it you know some sort of a collaboration, I would I would say that. And I think that speaks a lot about how the Asian and African community are are always uh you know working hand in hand. Uh, but I guess to add to 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 the earlier question that, that was being asked, um I guess It's, it's important for us to remember that uh, because Indonesia is such a big country with almost 300 million people, uh, we have, I mean, we we cannot deny the fact that, you know, the education uh, level and the education um, uh, of everyone in Indonesia is is, is vastly different, right? So there's always a group of people who are, uh, I would say, ignorant, uh, but borderline not well informed that just doesn't care about what's happening but there's a group of people who is risingly and, 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 and increasingly getting um, more educated uh, who really cares and starts to really care and to see that what's happening in the states are uh, is actually a trigger to, 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 for us to self-reflect on ourselves right like where, do, where are we on human rights um, and, and that's something that's I think very very interesting um, but but I feel like we cannot detach the power and the significance of media and education uh, in in Indonesia as something that that hopefully can uh, reduce uh, uh, the the both the system, systematic and individual racism in the in the mid to long term in in this country. And I think that's my thoughts.
1: Thanks, Adi, for your thoughts. Um, and and you also mentioned um, a very um interesting and also a problematic case of the rapper um rich brian right he's like an indonesian and um uh and uh, he's like he was a rising star he is still maybe a rising star he decided to change his name to rich brian because yeah. um people pushed back on that i think it 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 who was talking about i think it was um curtis right of how culture or like black culture is um, exported outside of the U.S. And, like, we, and, and Indonesia's import that. We have rap, we have like a um, uh, uh, black inspired fashions and style and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But um, without this historical baggage, right? Uh, yeah. It can be seen as kind of like profiteering. Um, uh, do you think Heidi, are, are people
4: aware of that at all?
6: Mm.
4: I think as, as the rapper themselves or as the creators, um, they, they are they, okay, where do I stand on this? I need to be, (laughs) I need to be careful in what I say. (laughs) Well, I guess, um, um, it depends, right? If, if, if they are genuinely uh, well-educated and well-conversed and they do understand the historical knowledge of, of the culture itself. And, and then create something that's good out of it. I think, I think that is a good thing, right? Yeah. But I think the problem with Indonesians, again, with the level of education and the education system that has not been uh, uh, developed and uh, I dare to say has been quite backward for many, many years from now, um, people are just quite ignorant. Um, and, and I think that the, the, the absence of credible media, the absence of uh, well-educated media itself is not helping this yeah. phenomenon at all. So, adding to that, you you see things uh, like celebrities and Instagrammers and influencers because you know whether you like it or hate it, uh, it's it's the media that people consume nowadays, right? Uh, they they consume influencers' uh, content, they consume YouTubers' content, and and it's very dangerous. And we need to be able, we need to be aware of this. Um, I guess what's happening. I was actually quite shocked uh, by a post that was made by an uh, uh, by, a, by a YouTuber, sometimes uh, a month ago, uh, when he tried to show his support for the for the Blackout Tuesday uh, uh, hashtag movement by uploading uh, a photo of him in a in a in a, a black face makeup, right? So. I don't know. I mean, I, I I don't know if he was being fu- if he was trying to be funny, or I don't know if he was trying to uh, show his support by his creations or anything. But w- I I just felt like that was very outrageous, right? That wasn't the right thing to do, it considering that he had uh, two and point two point five million followers. Oh, I didn't I didn't hear that. Um, yeah, that's that's huge. Um, but what was more shocking to me was the fact that uh, when I Looked at the at uh, the at the comment section. I was I was ready, right? I was ready for you know getting my popcorn. I was ready for people to show their their outrage, but apparently not. People are just like, oh, this is funny. Oh yeah. yeah. So I, I think that shows something that um, the generic community and the generic population of Indonesians, uh, we still have we still have a lot of homework uh, to to do before we can you know, achieve achieve that, that kind of level. Just-
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of history. Yeah, um, Kennedy, go ahead. I'll
0: just add to that just because, uh, uh, you know, I live here, obviously. So uh, I have this one leg in, one leg out thing. And like I said earlier, I, you know, I watch, I don't even call it cultural appropriation. I'm sure people are well-intentioned, but like Hadi said, you know, just knowledge, you know, understanding context with things. You know, I know in Indonesia here, if you go into malls, like when the music plays, they still use the N-word, you know? And I think it's like, for my American friends, I'm sure it's kind of like bizarre, like, like, what do you mean? Like, well, literally, the, it's not edited out. So you just, you just stroll in with, you know, and then you hear these things. And so this thing kind of sips through a little bit, you know, um, and just diversity. It's not really the most diverse city, to be honest. And I'm talking about with brown and black folks, you know, in, in Jakarta, it's, 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 a, it's a thing. And it's one of the things I, I have incorporated into what I do for a living. Um, I always want to, I'm always nervous around places that are not diverse, honestly, because you know, there's something about other, you know what I mean? When you're not comfortable with something, you know, you, you know, you, you almost can be flustered or something. So the idea of people not being too comfortable seeing brown folks, people of color, I'm not necessarily talking about black, you know, black, you know, uh, Spanish, whatever, South American, whatever, you know, um, this, that's the thing here. And we try to incorporate that. We, we do an Asia Africa film festival. You know, I, I do, I did a creative summit a couple of years ago and, uh, not necessarily planned, but uh, most of the people on the panel were Africans or, you know, like the, the head of Puma select was from Morocco friends from, from Amsterdam were Africans and it was not planned, but yeah, the truth of the matter is like, um, it's a very interesting conversation. Black people basically champion the culture we all consume in some form, you know, from yeah. fashion, film, sports, all of that stuff. No matter how it's remixed, right? And so when it sits through, um, um, it's just about context, you know. Like I, you know, as as it relates to fashion, I have friends who are in fashion here and in other cities as well. And even if it's streetwear or however it's called streetwear, I think sometimes people don't even realize. You know what that means. You know, I think sometimes I, I've, I've never heard so, I've never heard some of these people talk about Black Lives Matter or, or be socially conscious per se. And maybe the one time they talk about Black Lives Matter, they talk about looting or something. You know what I mean? So, but the irony is that f- streetwear culture, which is kind of birthed from hip hop, you know, there's graffiti you know, it's kind of like a protest type of, it's a protest type of movement, you know, where you're anti-establishment, you know, uh, or you're challenging establishment. So I I just want people to get that. And for me, I feel responsible when I I have friends like that. I feel like I have to probably do a better job of just, which I try to do, honestly, just give people context. I think most, almost everyone here, they're well-intentioned. You know, no one is running around in blackface like the one. You know what I mean? But I think most people are well intentioned. It's it's all context, and I think it, it has to do with education. It, it has to do with even things you, you know, media. You know, like the messaging. You know, like the visuals you see, not just stereotypes that are being shown and all that. So um, so as far, someone that lives here, you know, I see a lot of that, and I think there's still work to be done, and um, hopefully conversations like these uh, help. You know.
1: Yeah that's such a good point and yeah I feel like that that topic alone can have a, a separate session a, a separate talk show because it's so interesting how 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 it, to to at, at, at on one side it's a great achievement that um um black culture black music um black uh, fashion is uh, being recognized all over the world. Uh, in in another sense, um, it can be used inappropriately and offensively as well. Um, okay, um, uh, maybe we'll we'll come to uh, a a a um, uh, an answer to that or nearing an answer to that at the end of this. Um, um, I'm I'm I realize that a lot of the
5: Eric has his hands up,
1: I think. Oh, sorry. Did not see that. Go ahead, Eric.
5: Oh, I was actually just coughing. I, I was trying oh. to cough directly. You <laughs> know my You it It's not <laughs>
1: public, right? <laughs> Thank you for being so considerate. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so um, I, I, I see a lot of comments about how this... Um, plays out in Indonesia, how people not only see race, but, but see color in general, how there's an anti-blackness of how, uh, of how I think someone said, uh, oh, don't go outside, your, your skin will be darker, you know, and just stay inside and these whitening lotions and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I want to turn to my friend, uh, Michael. Um, Michael, are you there? Yes, Right, um, and, and 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 um, oh, so Michael has opted. Uh, he can speak English, I think, fine. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think he's more comfortable using Bahasa, and maybe I translate. Or what do you think, Michael? Yeah, uh, I think I will
7: speak in Bahasa.
1: Also. Okay, sure, sure. I'll help translate. Um, but can you understand my? Uh, i I'm, You you can understand can my. Um, I can
7: follow English,
1: you. All. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Michael. When you hear these stories, obviously the context is different. The history might be different, but can you relate to these experiences as a Papuan? So um, for those of you who don't know, Papua is the uh, most eastern province of Indonesia, and um, it's, it's majority, uh, I, I suppose it's a Melanesian uh, race, So, uh, so it's it's black people, um, um, and so when you hear these experiences, Michael, can you relate? And can you tell me um, how have your experience of racism been in Indonesia?
7: Yeah, um, kalau dari saya pribadi, saya juga uh, pernah alami apa yang tadi Kennedy cerita di awal about two days ago. Um, itu. Uh, saya pikir mereka memperlakukan saya uh, setelah mereka uh, sama, maksudnya sama itu dia dia melihat kita orang Papua itu uh, tidak pantas diperlakukan adil oleh sebagian orang yang tidak terpelajar sebenarnya. Saya pernah diberhentikan suatu malam waktu pulang kerja, uh, saya menyanyi di Institut Kesenian Jakarta, saya capek sekali saya pelaja pulang saya diberhentikan dan itu oleh polisi polisi yang saya pikir sebagai apa yang akan mengamankan kita ya sebagai warga negara saya diberhentikan dan itu kejadian sekitar uh, 10 tahun yang lalu kebetulan juga ada kejadian mahasiswa Papua di Surabaya dan langsung dia mengeneralisasi bahwa dia seperti ada apa? Uh, razia, jadi dia me- memerintahkan taksi karena dia lihat di dalam ada saya gitu, dia pikir saya orang Afrika atau orang mana? Dia pas lihat gini, wow, ini uh, ya a black a black guy di belakang. Dia berhentikan, terus sopir taksinya bilang kenapa pak? Enggak, saya uh, mau lihat uh, mau berhenti sebentar, saya mau lihat siapa yang ada di belakang. Terus saya bilang sama sopir taksi pak. Tolong kasih tahu dia kalau ada, uh, saya tidak ada urusan sama dia. Kalau dia mau taksi berarti dia urusannya sama Bapak. Bapak mungkin dilihat SIM STNK dan surat-surat lain. Kenapa dia harus tanya saya? Terus dia tetap bangsa untuk, tidak saya mau, uh, mau, mau, mau memeriksa si penumpang. Terus dia lihat, dia dia ke belakang dia, saya. Nah, Mas Arief mau langsung transit, atau?
1: Gimana, gimana? Oh. Maybe I'll, I'll translate halfway. So, um, uh, Michael was saying that what happened to Kennedy actually happened to uh, Michael. This was uh, 10 years ago in Jakarta after he was performing. Um, he was really retired. Really he was going back from a, from, um, a performance uh, by a taxi and the taxi was stopped. Um, and the taxi wasn't stopped for, it wasn't like a traffic violation or something. But he was, I, I suppose, forcing Michael to get out of the taxi so he can uh, question him. And, and there was no other reason besides that he was black. I believe um, maybe before that there was some uh, uh, Papuan demonstrations. And maybe, um, and he, he felt like he, he needed to generalize, oh, this is a black guy and so we need to question him. Is that kind of what happened, right?
6: Yeah. then so, this is saya pikir.
7: Oh ini yang memberhentikan uh, bukan apa misalnya preman atau apa ini malah polisi dengan pakaian seragam dan dia yeah. langsung bilang coba saya lihat uh, KTP kamu. Terus saya bilang bapak bapak tidak ada urusan sama saya kalau bapak punya urusan bapak urusan sama bapak driver. Kenapa harus saya yang ditanya? Yeah. Terus nah, tidak kamu kasih uh, uh, identitas kamu, pas dia baca dia lihat saya terus sepertinya dia kenal terus dia lihat. Hmm. Oh kamu ini ya, um, yang penyanyi itu ya, terus dia bukannya merasa malu atau apa gitu, dia malah, um, bolehlah satu, dua lembar gitu, bagi-bagi-bagi uh, sedulur ke saya. Jadi saya merasa bahwa, wow, maksudnya u- u- untuk segala situasi, kamu memberhentikan cuma karena kamu lihat di belakang saya yeah. hitam, terus kamu meng- mengait-ngaitkan dengan kejadian di Surabaya, dan kamu malah meminta uang dan kamu menggunakan seragam itu, itu sangat memalukan. Maksudnya saya menyayangkan karena dia seorang yang menurut saya well educated ya, tapi yeah. dia melakukan itu. Dan yang saya lihat dengan terjadi di Papuan Lives Matter itu, um, itu um, mereka gerakan itu seperti berkaitan yeah. dengan Black Lives Matter itu karena apa mereka merasa ini ini momen yang tepat untuk kita juga menyuarakan hak kita karena banyak sekali pelanggaran ham yang di Papua yang terjadi yeah. yang seharusnya mereka dapat perlindungan dari yang uh, yang sang pemegang hukum malah tidak dapat itu
1: okay. oke okay. great point um, let me translate that quickly so uh, what happened was um, he was uh, uh, forced to show his id at first he persisted you have no um, you have no business looking at my ID. Um, uh, but eventually, um, he showed his ID, and he realized, the police realized that he was uh, the singer, um, and he recognized him. And what happened next was, he wasn't like, maybe, oh, I know you, or, oh, I like your music, or, or something like that. He asked him for money, for, for, I don't know what it was. It wasn't even a bribe. You didn't even, you didn't even uh, do anything wrong. But he asked him for money. Um, and he felt really, really uh, disappointed by this because he sees the police as someone that is, is supposed to serve and protect. Um, and th- so um, uh, Michael is saying also that the, the Papuan Lives Matter um, that um, came um, right after the Black Lives Matter is really representing a bigger issue like this because um, uh, uh, for, for those of you who don't know, the, the Poplin history is one that is riddled with human rights violation. Um, it is, I, I urge you to kind of like um, uh, study up on that. Um, uh, where people, Poplins are just treated differently um, by law enforcers. Um, there was um, a huge, for example, uh, oh this is for me, just to give context. Um, there was a huge anti-racism discrimin- uh, uh, protest last year um, because a, a dorm that was filled with Papuan people was attacked and uh, people used r- racial slurs and all that kind of stuff. And the police was actually there also. Some of them was was maybe participating. And so they had a big demonstration in Papua and guess what? They were all arrested. These demonstrators uh, were arrested and now some of them are in court and already uh sentenced to seven uh i think it was seven to 40 years for treason um so i mean it's a whole kind of like history also there um uh but this is what michael was saying this is part of a a larger um i guess problem yeah continue michael
7: um Iya, jadi um, uh, ini sangat uh, ter- tergerak Be- begitu uh, kita melihat gerakan uh, Black Lives Matter di uh, di Amerika langsung uh, ya sebagai apa anak-anak Papua yang merasa bahwa ini saat- saatnya kita bersuara mereka yang sadar dan mereka yang mau mau ya. mau menyuarakan ini ke publik mereka ya seperti buat buat gerakan Papua Lives Matter supaya mungkin semua orang Indonesia juga apa, uh, aware bahwa kejadian ini juga terjadi di bangsa kita dan saya Papua saya Indonesia saudara kamu sendiri maksudnya yeah. kami sendiri tidak bisa melakukan apa-apa kalau kita tidak bersama-sama menyerahkan ini jadi yeah. yang yang saya lihat itu kenapa saya juga dalam beberapa sesi ada uh, ikut dalam apa uh, uh, apa zoom uh, meeting seperti ini karena saya punya saya mau menyuarakan itu bahwa um, kita mau me, 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 pemerintah kita sendiri sadar bahwa uh, pemerintah dan apa um, uh, itu seperti tadi Pak polisi mereka sendiri tidak melakukan memlakukan kita dengansa di rajinjan Papua
1: So so um, he's saying that this is the reason why um, people are now starting to speak up about Papuan issues um, and uh, he uh, he like uh, on that point of allyship um, he the reason why um, he talks about this stuff is because he we, they can't do it alone. Um, Indonesians, a non-Papuan Indonesians, need to join the fight. I suppose. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I I want to. Um, you told me a fantastic story. Um, uh, was it last year at Idea Fest about the name of your band? Oh yeah. You're in the band called Nogue, Noge. N O G E. Well, I. Um, explain to me where that came from.
7: Ya, yeah, itu uh, kami mengangkat nama ini karena uh, tadi seperti yang Barbara sampaikan ya, bahwa mereka mempergunakan nama ini sebagai jokes maksudnya eh lengkap tidak kita tidak tahu memanggil nama itu dengan maksud untuk menjatuhkan atau apa tapi Nogi sendiri dari arti kata yang sebenarnya adalah teman sahabat karib dan artinya sangat bagus sekali tapi itu dipakai sebagai bahasa rasial untuk menjatuhkan
6: gitu. Hmm.
7: Nogi itu seperti kamu itu telanjang, kamu itu orang Papua itu hitam, kamu itu bau, kamu itu monyet sambil ya uh, jadi, uh, uh, noge itu sendiri kita, kita, saya dan teman saya mau memilih supaya kita membeli, mem- mengembalikan ke arti nama sebenarnya. Bahwa noge itu sahabat, noge yeah. itu karib, noge itu sahabat yeah. yang melal- melebihi saudara kandung. Yeah. Jadi kita mau merangkul semua melalui kitabnya musik seperti itu.
1: Ya, ya. the word um, noge um, uh, is used... By people who come to Papua, by outsiders, to racially demean Papuans. Um, However, the word noge actually, uh, in Papua, it means um, sobat is a friend or even best friend. It has actually a really noble meaning. And so he saw that the word was being polluted by people that are coming to the island. And um, he chose to, to use that word as a band name because he wanted to restore the name, uh, the, the, the meaning of the word. And I think that's just really, really powerful. And I also remember you telling me the story of um, a lot of people, a lot of pop ones were angry that you used that uh, name. But you've actually, you sent them your uh, records, you sent them your CDs and you explain to them, this is what I'm trying to do, and actually all of them said, Godspeed, this is, this is great. Your message is, is, is powerful. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's really, really interesting. Okay, um, we're a bit over time, but maybe we can extend this to uh, 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 20 minutes more. Um, um, what I want to ask, to each and every one of the panelists is um, what does real work look like? What, 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 like, how can everyone here after this session um, do or think to really challenge themselves or the system in order to destroy racism we see in the US and Indonesia globally? Uh, who wants to start
5: um, for me it 's about changing uh, policy uh, economically, politically, socially, structurally, really making fundamental changes in your workplace and your family i mean it's it's obviously a little bit harder to do it outside of the u s but I have a lot of People I know, a lot of white people I know in the U.S. who say they want to do certain things, but then they don't want to rock the system. They they don't want to say the wrong thing in front of their family, or they don't want to get fired from their jobs, or they don't want to you know mess up relationships with their friends. So it, it it's some tough work that has to be done. You have to be willing to, to lose something. Like we've lost something for 400 years, you know. So I think you know one thing that we can definitely do is is, is, is policy change. Um, again, you can't always change within somebody's heart, but maybe you can force them to do certain things. So um, voters' rights right now is gonna be a big issue for the election coming up. I mean, you see suppression all across the country in Kentucky, um, how do we force local politicians to be on the right side of voter, voter's rights? Um, again, in, in, in corporations, how do you make sure that you have diversity on, on the board? um the hiring practices reflect the society not just one kind of person so again it's, it's forcing people to make these tough decisions that's something that we all can do and and just being uncomfortable you know being uncomfortable is it's a part of it
1: that's such a that's such a thing all
3: right who else um i i agree with what eric is saying Um, There's also a saying that if you see something, say something. Mm. Don't just let it go by when you're at dinner with your racist family. Um, And just like, I don't want to, like you said, rock the boat or whatever. Because if you don't speak up against it, a lot of people don't understand what racism is. That that, that seems ridiculous, but they don't. And so you have to, you see something, you say something. You have to make it, make it aware. Tony Morrison said that we need to get, in order for us to be really free, we have to free ourselves of the white man's gaze, and if we always have that thought of not hurting their feelings, being very gentle with them and how you do this, then it's like a child—they're not gonna—they're not gonna grow up, you know. So you have um, to—you have to tell them. and one thing on that whole international thing I wanted to say is that white supremacy, the behavior of white supremacy is international, even when there are not white people around. It still is there. So um, you know, it's not surprising that you know, black people or, or darker people in India, darker people are treated differently. So that is all the legacy of, of white supremacy and colonialism which is always the way so um yeah i think being more aware and 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 saying something about it is important
1: that's such a good point that white supremacy doesn't necessarily require white people (laughs) um and yeah sometimes like we we have these behaviors that we tolerate from people because of he's oh if that's just his character or, or or oh he's just old or you know like we we need to start calling them out and educating them. Um, uh, yeah, um, Curtis.
2: Yeah, so I echo what uh and Eric said, um, especially when it comes to Indonesians. One of the th- things that we always would have um, is people's intention not to offend by asking questions. You have to ask those questions. You have to be uncomfortable. And you think of any type of growth growth is painful and uncomfortable, you know, that, so that's, it's necessary. It's absolutely necessary. Call out microaggressions when they happen, especially in Indonesia, because the expectation is it's just going to let it fly because again, the cultural aspects and you cannot do it and it doesn't have to be emotionally charged, you know, or it doesn't, it it can be just like, look, this is wrong. And I'm going to explain to you why it's wrong or it can be. But either way, um, the conversations need to happen. The, the shit needs to be stopped right then and there. The fact that we are, I think, uh, close to two hours in and we still have 45 participants is a great first, you know, start for, and everybody who's on should give themselves a hand for being here. Um, when we talked about cultural, the cultural aspects of things, I want to shout out a couple people like Iwake, uh Psychoji. Um, Indonesians, uh, Sinta Storms um, and who are in the United States, who are Indonesian, who who are speaking on these issues, you know, uh, from that perspective and that point of view and who who are married to African-Americans. So follow these individuals who legit understand and know the culture. Uh, Gita is on. And one of the things that Gita and I talk about is she's like, look, I read. She's like, that's my contribution. I read and I can give background on all these books and you know racial, racial aspects of the, of the books that I'm reading in Bahasa Indonesia. She can give the reviews in Bahasa Indonesia. So whatever your niche is and whatever your talent is, you can use it to inward face. And one of the things I absolutely love about this global reckoning is everybody's not only looking at the United States, which is extremely important, but they're looking at home. And which is why I really appreciate what Michael said. It's like you have to, right? What helps me as an African-American in Indonesia is not you giving money to Black Lives Matter in the United States, but how are you working with Papuan lives? And how are you talking to Chinese-Indonesian issues? And how are you really addressing the things that are at home? Because God knows I see it. You know, and 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 we can act like it's not there, but everybody I know knows it is. So being uncomfortable, being comfortable with being uncomfortable, as Eric said, is extremely important.
1: Yeah, that's great. Being comfortable with uncomfortable. Um, um, uh, Hadi, you want to you want to say something on this?
4: Yeah, Um, I think. Uh, I hope I, I hope I can represent what's happening in Indonesia and of course Indonesians generally. I, I think we have we have this culture right as an Indonesian that we feel like oh we are nobody you know we are one of 300 million population what can we do what can we do differently especially if we are not uh, in in the realms of politics and in the positions where we have we actually have the power to change and and to influence and to impact right. But I think uh, uh, for a lot of Indonesians we should really self-reflect and, 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 and not avoiding the fact that we can do something within our personal capacity. I, I think first of all, is getting ourselves educated uh, in the sense of, I, I like what uh, Caris has mentioned, that we have to read, we have to read, we have to be critical, we have to find out information uh, instead of just you know uh, accepting every sorts of information that is being presented to us. Uh, but I think more than that, we need to reflect and look into what can we do uh, personally within our personal circle, right? I mean, for example, like um, what we do in our company, since the beginning of the conception, we, we know that you know, we have to be inclusive. So we never look at people from their religion, from, from, from their gender, from their, uh, from their race even, right? So I think that's something that I thought I can do as a company owner, as a business owner, that this is my responsibility. Um, but I guess a lot of Indonesians have to also realize that they are a part of a bigger system, right? They, they cannot keep on looking at themselves and ourselves even uh, at just being a small part of a country, a small part of a community who has no impact because I think like whatever we say yes to and whatever we say no to uh, will, will place us in a position where we are, we are either a part of the problem or we are either a part of the solution and advancement of, of human rights, of, of humanity, uh, and, and that's something that, that's especially, um, especially challenging for a lot of Asians, especially Indonesians, because we always have this culture of being, you know, right? like, we, like it's, it's impolite to say no, you know, it's impolite to call out. Um, you know, we Indonesians, we have to be courteous, we have to be polite and friendly, um, and I think that's why the issue of racism, the issue of uh, sexual harassment even, is something that has never been a popular issue to, to, to be talked about, to be highlighted about, because people are just like, yeah, I'm, I'm a nobody, I cannot talk back, I cannot call out, I cannot... So I think, I, I think that's, uh, that's something we really need to look into as an Indonesian, I feel.
1: <laughs> also, it's like, it's, uh, particularly on young people trying to communicate to older people, there's like oh you have to be polite to older people and so that's like frowned upon um michael um do you have anything to say
7: um yeah, maybe uh because uh, for me uh, as a what i what i see in my country because indonesia is very multi-ethnic how to overcome the this race, race racism against pop i think the first thing to do is to set a mindset that not all people are in the same box we need to accept the different uh, being humble to receive any unfamiliar because no uh, no not all we can we can we can we can go to other places like to to uh, uh from From the east to the west or from the west to the east, but sometimes they they look we all as a general so we need to ask the dif- the different and we need to see each other from uh, uh like from our um, our our box how to to see each other from i i mean like uh they should see me from my, 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 my point of view, I think, yeah. That's it. Thank you for that, Michael.
1: Um, so uh, we're about to close. And, and, and those are really, really powerful statements. Thank you all for the speakers. We're about to close. Um, but before that, um, um, uh, there's a special treat for all of you. Um, from uh, Michael and before I, I send this over to Kennedy um, Michael will like to um, sing a song but, uh, this is really great Michael is uh, for you those of you who don't know the finalist of the first Indonesian Idol um, in Indonesia I, I remember watching uh, that 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 show and like it was new and it was fun and actually, as a family, we all rooted for Michael. Actually, we were big fans of him in that first one. We wanted him to win. Um, I, I, owe you, I
7: owe you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, brother. So please, Michael, carry on. It's, it's an honor to, to join you you guys. And thank you, Ari, for inviting me to join um, through this conversation. So I'm going to say... Well, Marley's song, song. Oh Marley redemption
6: Oh pirate, yes, they rubber So that's in the merchant ships. Mean it's a third day to come from the bottomless pit, but my hand was made strong. By the hands of the Almighty, we forward in this generation, triumphantly. Won't you help to sing these songs of freedom, that's all I ever had? Emancipate yourself from into slavery. Not but ourselves can free our mind. Ooh. Have no fear for atomic energy, because none of them can stop the time. How long shall they kill our brothers? While well, we stand outside and blue. some say it's just a part of it. We've got to feel the boo. Won't you help to these songs of freedom? That's all I ever. redemption song. Won't you help sing? This song of freedom is all I ever said redemption song. redemption song. Rev so bravo
1: gosh you're making me teary, brother uh. <laughs> okay um i'm going to give the last word to kennedy but before that i just want to say thank you all for participating thank you all for staying on this zoom call it means a lot. Uh, thank you to Eric. Thank you to Curtis, to Barbara, to Hadi, to Michael. Thank you, Kennedy and Globetrotter for having this. Um, that's my time. Thanks Thanks so much, you guys. Also, don't forget, um, there's going to be a feedback survey. Please fill it in. Muriel has put in the link. Um, and maybe uh, we do a group picture, but I'll let Kennedy handle that.
0: OK. Uh, just want to piggyback uh, from Arif there. Thank you so much. Sorry, Mike. I'm going to say hi to everyone. Hi. I don't know if you can see her. Hi. <laughs> uh, she's been knocking the door. We kind of locked her out a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, I just want to say thank you. This means a lot to me. Um, uh, I'm sure it means a lot to Michael. It means a lot to people who are just um, discriminated against. You know, it's a very personal uh-huh. thing. I got a taste of it um um just a couple of days ago yeah mama is in another room you want to go meet her over there (laughs) yeah sorry guys (laughs) um so this is i'm sure we could go longer you know i've heard some people text me that this can go i know we just barely scratched the surface you know there's a lot there it's very complex when when i say when i explain to people that oh you know it's complex and all that a part of me just always says it's just a basic human decency conversation, you know. Uh, you know, some like it's not that hard. But again, uh, if it's not something you you deal with on a daily, um, you know, like everyone mentioned earlier, you know, just be aware of your surroundings. You know, read some books. The policy changes that Eric is talking about—that's I mean, for the U.S. But globally, as Indonesians, you know, you know, just being inclusive. And, you know, being aware, you know, um, and so it's not a first of all, there are not a lot of black people in Jakarta. But even there's this the stereotype with Africans and I see these at the airports when I, you know, uh when I when I go here. L- luckily I have an American passport, but you know, sometimes I'm always approached a certain way, you know, until they see my American passport, you know, then it's like, oh, okay, you know. But so it it's 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 basically a human decency conversation. Um you know there will be a laundry list of things to do. There are a lot of books to read now. I will share something in the in the chat group. Uh, ba Barbara has some amazing. I'll uh, I'll ask everyone to check out her work. Uh, she has a video that we I think having, I don't know if we're, we're gonna have time to share, but if not, I, w- I will keep you guys posted on on what she's working on. Um, so just just be self-aware. Um, you know it's 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 a great time to be alive. You know it's it's 2020 a lot of uncertainty, but also I feel like a lot of time for reflection. You know, there's almost like it's a reflection time. I think we're all all like looking into the mirror. You know, I think we're going to even approach how we move forward differently. We kind of have to like, you know, life has been rattled, you know, in in all kinds of ways. So uh, I think this is just something we need to add to that list there of just, you know, how we are as human beings, you know. I really, really appreciate every one of you for taking the time. I know it's not easy. Some of you wake up late, Raya, you know, but she, she's here, you know, I appreciate that. And my folks in the US and Chicago, Eric is opening his store, a brand new re, 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 redo after the, the, the Corona thing, a very big surprise for Chicago. The store has been in Chicago for close to 25 years. So it's a staple in Chicago. You know, uh, so we're very excited. I'm sure he's busy planning all that, but he made some time to be here. Same with Barbara, Uh, Michael. I really appreciate you, Curtis, as well. So um, you guys are uh, real troopers. I appreciate it. I'm sure this will be one of many conversations, uh, you know, and sometimes they will come in different formats, you know. Sometimes it's it's the dialogue. Sometimes it's it's music. It's, you know, but it's just always good to, learn and step away from your comfort zone and, like uh, you know, and just embrace things that are different, you know, things that are other, you know, I think that's something I really, that I hold dear to me. I always love inclusivity. I love diversity in conversations. You just feel more equipped for the world, you know, when you're having discussions and conversations with people that don't necessarily look like you, you know, so, you know, so you're making informed converse, uh, statements when you're talking and all that. So. You know we all have a lot to learn none of us all have all the answers but um again uh hopefully this was a first attempt and a decent uh first step and there'll be many more you know i see a lot of my chicagoans in the house tony norman teague a lot of my friends so this is like a from chicago to jakarta with love dakbo you know my best friends are in the, in the in the building you know and it's late over there in chicago but they're tuned in dayo and I really, so I really appreciate it. I also want to say a big thank you to, uh, you know, my team, my very small lean team, uh, Globetrotter, you know, been working remotely, Ronnie, I see them in there, Ronnie, Nanda, Barry, everyone. Uh, this was tough, you know, because I'm not going to lie, as a black person here, I was still receiving all this information in real time. I didn't necessarily feel like talking about it, but I, I like, I, of course I was talking about it with my wife and all that, but it, I had to just, step into a a place so i could kind of piece this together and uh i'm glad uh i'm very thankful arif uh and everyone for kind of helping uh put this together i know it's not easy everyone is everyone's schedule is tight so nadia everyone ratna langston a lot of you everybody in there i can you know i see my friends kabir everyone's in tanti tamara i can't mention everyone but uh you know everyone is there Uh, let me see if i can do that tanti Maria Rati let's see Gita, of course fajar it's it's a it's a big list i can can't I can't, I can't uh, call everyone's name I want to big uh, say a big thank you to my wife you know she's kind of she gets me organized, you know what I mean I'm the one that has the crazy ideas and thoughts and she kind of you know puts it in this nice little box for me. I'm not gonna lie i'm not you know I'm, I'm kind of the, the wild one, and she kind of like okay you haven't done the excel sheets you know you know i'm just like oh geez like <laughs> so i'm sure you guys know how that goes you know but um i'm very grateful to everyone and feel free to add any last words um i'm sure this would be uh, one of many conversations but i'm incredibly grateful and um hopefully we get to see the change that it would be the change we want to see basically so thank you again anybody want to add anything
1: do we want a group picture?
0: Sure. I do not even know how you do that. How do you, how do, you do that? I don't know. Morel? Is that a...
1: Oh, I think someone just needs to take it from their phone.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. I don't think <laughs> yeah. everyone can be on the frame, right?
1: Um, we, can, we can take two pictures. Okay. Let me take the picture. Everyone turn on their videos.
0: Yes. If you can. I right, see some people can. driving. Don't bash, man.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to participate if you're driving. Oh, oh, great. Uh, oh, really great to see these faces. Finally, some I know some. Yeah, good. Okay, um, we're gonna take it twice. Yeah. So this is the first one for the first um, set of boxes. One, two,
7: Okay,
1: okay. And the other box um the other box uh, doesn't have a lot of video but i'll take it anyway yes um and some are from the first box so you get your picture taken twice one two three
0: fantastic you guys we're done thank you so much guys what time is it it's it's midnight in the u.s right now thank you so much I think this. At first, we thought this would be an hour conversation, but thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Salute, people. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.